First Coast Connect with Melissa Ross is sponsored in part by Baptist Health. Preachers on the Green. University of North Florida students say a religious group has been regularly showing up on campus and harassing people for years, and the group seems to be getting bolder and more organized. Good morning and live with you from Studio 2. I'm Brendan Rivers sitting in for Melissa Ross. This is First Coast Connect. Thanks for listening. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. The number is 549-2937. Again, that's 549-2937. Then later, planting trees to help Jacksonville deal with the causes and effects of climate change. All of that ahead and more. But first this hour, for more than four years, a religious group known as Preachers on the Green have been setting up on the big open green space at the heart of the UNF campus and voicing their beliefs to students. They bring signs and huge banners, and they use what's been described as strong language. Many students feel as if they've been verbally assaulted or harassed by the group. Some have even walked away from interactions feeling unsafe. According to reporting from the Spinnaker, UNF student-run news source, there have even been incidents where members of the group actually followed students home. Students have asked the university to get involved, but there are legal concerns. University Police Chief Frank Mackesy has said as much as he'd like to ban them from campus, they're protected by the First Amendment. Until they break the law, Mackesy says there's nothing he can do. To talk about all this, we're joined by Dr. Richmond Wynn, Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer at UNF. Good morning, Dr. Wynn. Good morning. Carter Mudgett, Editor-in-Chief of The Spinnaker. Hi, Carter. And Olivia Kalin. Uh, Is it Kalin or Kalin? Kalin. Okay, Olivia Kalin, a UNF student and a member of the group Students for a Democratic Society, or SDS. Good morning. Morning. All right, again, the number to call is 549-2937 if you want to join the conversation. Carter, let's start with you. The Spinnaker has been reporting on this group for a while now. Uh, what can you tell us about them? All right, so this is not a new new issue. Um, Preachers on the Green have been a thing since over a decade, at least. Um, with the earliest Spinnaker reporting online since, since 2008, um, what we're seeing as a unique issue now is we're coming off of COVID again still, and we had a campus shutdown for a good, well, about two years. Um, so we have two years of students that had no idea that preachers even existed on campus, and they're coming on campus, and their first experience at UNF is being shouted at, yelled at on the green whenever they pass by in the center of campus. Um, so the primary issue there is that students had no idea, and they were hit with this large force um, on the green. And Olivia, I understand you've had some interactions with members of the group. The group, Can you uh, tell us what happened and what it's like interacting with them? Yes. Um, so we have created our own group, a student organized group called Untamed Love, and it's supposed to support students against the preachers that harass them and, and call them names when they walk by. The day-to-day, because we're out there every time they show up, um, is always very aggressive. They always call women very derogatory names. Actually, anybody who's wearing shorts or tank tops, derogatory names. And they tell people that they're going to, um, they're not going to get into heaven because of who they are, how they look. Um, And they even told students to commit suicide. They've even told other people, like, that we've gotten on camera to commit suicide out of context and within context of religion. Um, It's really stressful because um, when we are out there, um, they try and harass us. Obviously, we're not necessarily just out there for them. We're also out there for students. We give out cookies. We talk to them um, and try and make sure that all the students are okay. We even kind of scoot in when we see a student is talking to the preachers a little longer and being like, hey, are are you okay? Um, You can still 
keep talking. We just want to make sure that you're doing okay. And if they are, then they'll continue talking. If not, then they'll come to us and we'll uh, talk to them about um, what's been going on, who they are, and what's been happening. Um, we actually have four statements that uh, uh, four female identifying people that um, have been followed home and um, two people uh, all the way back to their dorms and uh, uh, two other people, one, uh, one to their car and one to Starbucks. It's, it's very stressful because like this happened really early before we knew what was going on and um, we're trying to monitor them now to see if they will still do that. We just don't want students to be alone at night anymore. So that's why we, we come out. And, and for any of our listeners who might not be familiar, can you tell us about The Green and sort of what it's like on campus? So The Green is a space for students to go do homework, hang out with friends, just lay there or play music, literally anything. It's a really relaxing spot. It's very open. It's it's a very nice um, uh, space for students and faculty. I mean, I've uh, when I was in, uh, uh, I think it was last semester, one of my teachers, we went on The Green for an assignment and we just like sat there we talked about uh, uh our assignments and and it was just really nice it's just a nice space that's what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a nice and safe space and, and how often is this group on the green and, and how many people are usually there with them? so from the beginning of the semester it used to be the whole group which consisted about of i think six or seven men um and uh throughout the semester currently it's normally like three maybe four um, and they appear every week. It used to be every day. Um, but then it switched from every day to every week. And they still show up sporadically between Tuesday through Thursday. It varies. But um, it's less of them now, but it's still it's still just uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Wynn, what can you tell us about this group and the university's response? Well, like Carter said, this is not new, and it's um, I've been at UNF for 22 years, and it's been an issue for 22 years at wow. least. And we're not the only campus that these groups visit. They visit all, uh, at least in Florida, all of the public universities because of the um, um, their right to, according to the law, to uh, visit our public campus and um, to speak freely. Um, <clears throat> We have um, we have been um, organizing as far as staff and administration goes to better support our entire campus. Students are primarily um, uh, impacted by it, but but all of us are. You know, faculty and staff alike are uh, uh, impacted by uh, this behavior on the green, and it's very it's very frustrating that we can't um, intervene in a different different way. So, um, you know, obviously we cannot ban them from campus. Years ago, we used to have um, free, dedicated free speech zones, and they were uh, spaces that these visitors to campus could go and do what they do, but it was, they had only a certain areas where they could go. Back in 2018, um, a law was p- a passed, a freedom of expression in outdoor areas, which basically made an enti- our entire campus a free speech zone with the exception of academic spaces. Um, and the uh, visitors to campus cannot disrupt 
um, university operations and they can't violate our amplified sound policy. So, you know, no megaphones and things like that. If they want to do something more organized like that, they have to get request permission to uh, do an event on campus. And these preachers don't usually do that. They know what the rules are. They know how to go right up to the the line. And, um, you know, and that's what's very challenging for all of us is that they understand what the law is. We have um, we've done a number of things. The University Police Department is constantly monitoring what's happening, um, especially when we know we tend to get a heads up. Um, these groups have their own YouTube channels and they, they post, they, they film when they're on campus. They film their activities and post online. And they also post videos uh, coaching other preachers on how to engage the students on campus. Um, and then sometimes they will they will identify dates of when they're going to show up at different campuses. So when we know, we certainly increase support and uh, police presence, staff presence on the green when we are aware of their visits. In the in the past, our uh, interfaith center has been very active in providing opportunities for the campus community to dialogue about these. There are certain programs that the interfaith center has. One called Coffee and Conversations, where um, just recently, back in the fall, we held a coffee and conversation around uh, preachers on the green, and there was it was a pretty good turnout of um, students and employees. Um, you know, the Interfaith Center has done a great job of um, modeling a healthy interfaith dialogue and um, and civil discourse around uh, religion and faith issues, and and just generally provided a safe space for um, for our campus community to. Uh, address these issues. We we have, uh, there are other religious groups, there are other groups with different causes that show up on campus that create um, this uh, uh, tension. The preachers, however, have been have been consistent, have been persistent, and, and have been really aggressive. Um, I was recently charged with uh, chairing a task force that is addressing how we can <laughs> Um, create more safety, create to reinforce our uh, culture of care on campus. Again, we can't just simply ban the preachers from coming. Um, if they're violating the law, that's a different story. And some of the examples that, um, that, that you gave, Olivia, really are disturbing and concerning. We uh, have heard those comments. Uh, we've heard some of those stories from people. Unfortunately, we haven't had enough for the police to act on, and so we continue to monitor for um, for any violations of the law. So our task force is um, developing, well, there will be a website, there will be additional um, um, a campaign, if you will, around um, not just, this. we don't want it to be about the preachers. This is about our campus. This is about the green being that space that you talked about. We want students and um, all of our campus to be able to enjoy the campus and feel safe and not attacked. Um, we are developing a campaign to help um, educate our campus about First Amendment and free speech. We want to provide resources and opportunities for um, for students, faculty, staff to engage in uh, free expression and to learn more about um, civil discourse and um, to also uh, to learn about counter programming. You mentioned uh, you know interacting with students and, and checking in with students when they're talking with preachers offering cookies. I know that our LGBTQ center has done that in the past when they've known 
that preachers are coming. We they've done like a a love campaign mm-hmm. so to counter what is happening. So we also want to provide like a toolkit of resources for um, our campus to to uh, embrace counter programming. We also want to practice. Uh, we also want to offer resources for support. So counseling, other kinds of peer support, additional resources that that help. We really just want to wrap our arms around our campus. And again, this is not about them per se. It is about it's about us. Okay. All right. We're getting some callers, so let's uh, see what our callers have to say. We've got uh, Mark from the West Side. Good morning, Mark. Go ahead. You know, I am. I find this fascinating. I I, I almost. I almost half expect you guys to say April Fools, although we're a little early for that. I, uh, you know, I graduated from the University of Florida in uh, you know, Go Gators, 1983, and we had these same people coming through our campus. It was almost kind of like a seasonal thing. They weren't there all the time, but it seemed like, you know, at the start of a big semester or something like that. And you know they go, you know they they go uh, to the greens and they have their bullhorns and and microphones and this that and you know t- you know the same kind of stuff. They'd be harassing us, but we'd be harassing right back. It was sport. It was fun. Uh, as a matter of fact, they were a little intimidated by the students. I mean, we, there would be a crowd of a hundred people around them, and we'd be arguing back and forth and and giving and taking, and it was hilarious and. I'm, I'm just, I'm just shaking my head, thinking that you guys would be afraid of these people. I mean, it was great sport to us. They actually, uh, there was a couple articles I remember in the Florida Alligator that uh, the preachers had to get the campus police because they were a little intimidated by us. <laughs> what has happened? Uh, Olivia, do you want to respond? Yeah. Um. So what ended up happening, uh, for our little preacher group um they at least when they first started out it seemed kind of like a very extreme kind of uh uh, uh, religious group and then they started specifically making fun of of uh, uh certain people there was an incident where um they the the main person would dress up in a willy wonka suit and uh would make fun of uh mentally disabled people um by making fun of the short bus and then we realized, okay, this isn't, this is, these people are, are, are not normal. Um, so then when we started to protest against them, they started to get really aggressive. And they actually do, t- they, they try and, and, and claim and be like, oh, well, we're, we're, we know the, the campus police, you know, they actually care about us um, to try and like make us stop, I think. Um, but they try to, use certain words to be like oh well you don't need to use that sign anymore because it actually is helping us when we know that they don't like it and it's this manipulation that they're trying to um to get us to stop but they're they're always just really aggressive their behavior isn't normal it's erratic and they they're they're just really uncomfortable if you saw them firsthand you would you would understand <laughs> well and, and let me just add that uh, to, to the caller's point is that sometimes students do just that and back in the fall, I remember a different one of the preachers visiting campus, and there was a huge group surrounding her, and they and they seemed to be enjoying the exchange, the back and forth. So that uh, the example that he gave, or the activity that he mentioned, does happen at times, and other times it's not. Sometimes students simply ignore the preachers and they go away. Um, so we have a variety of responses to to their presence. 
I could jump in real fast. Yeah. Um, so we referenced this is a sister Cindy. She's mm-hmm. gathered such a following. She did a like, tour across multiple Florida public universities. Um, we also have incidents where students aren't just sitting and taking it. Um, if you check our article on usmr.com, you know, semester, last semester, um, when we first returned, um, students were out there debating with them, engaging with them along the sidewalk that they were standing on um, for most of the first week. Um, it was, people got more of a kick out of it. It got old pretty fast, obviously. But um, we also have incidents where last semester, toward the end of the semester, there was a student that um, physically assaulted a preacher on the green um, and was subsequently arrested. And I believe hit campus was what Chief Maxey said during that student at town hall two weeks ago. And, and also to the caller's point, I, I think there are people who would enjoy that kind of interaction, but I also think there are a lot of people who very much would not enjoy that and, and, and just don't feel safe uh, being verbally harassed uh, on a daily basis, you know, especially I think people from marginalized groups who are already targeted online and in other spaces, I think they would prefer to have their university setting be a safe space where they can feel free to, to learn and express themselves without having to deal with that kind of conflict. So I, I definitely don't think that's uh, the kind of interaction that everyone would enjoy. All right, we have another caller on the line, Charles from the West Side. Go ahead, Charles. Uh, welcome back, Melissa. Um, you know, one thing I'm concerned about is um, you guys, uh, you know, being targeted by the DeSantis uh, regime uh, as being, uh, you know, attacking freedom of religion and then, you know, winding up in the crosshairs like, New College down south did and, uh, you know, start having your board attacked and getting people fired and, uh, you know, wh- where that's uh, where that could go. So that worries me. So uh, keep, uh, you know, hang in there, guys. Thanks. Thank, thank you. Thanks for the call, Charles. All right. Uh, so, Olivia, I'm curious, as, as you're speaking to other students on campus, what is sort of the general feeling among students? Um, a lot of students, the majority, um, is very uncomfortable. There's a couple of people that are like, but it's entertaining. It's fun. I like engaging with them. Well, not like, but it's fun to, in, uh, to engage with this very, um, I'm going to say stupid behavior. <laughs> um, but the majority of students feel really uncomfortable. They do not like them. They don't want them here. They want to be on the green. And when they come on the green, a lot of students leave. Because they're like, oh, well, now that these preacher people, I mean, the preacher people actually come up to students who are just sitting on the green, just reading or doing homework. And they actually go up to them with signs saying, hey, you know, I want to talk to you. And they don't want to. And they still just uh, push and push and push until that person ends up leaving. Because, like, what else are they going to do? Mm -hmm. They just invade people's spaces. Yeah. And Carter, this issue came up at a recent town hall meeting with the university's president. Uh, can you tell us about what happened at that meeting and and what uh, the president had to say? So a lot of students voiced their concern specifically for feeling unsafe on the green and in general on campus. Um, a lot of people will walk around the green or go a completely different route back to their dorms. Um, but specifically during that town hall, uh, you know, Olivia and other members of the community voiced their stream, basically how they were harassed and just verbally assaulted and all that um, during the meeting. And he during the meeting specifically, he told Olivia basically she was wrong and not to engage with the preachers. And the main piece of advice from administration across the board is don't engage. Um, ignore them. If you don't engage, they will leave. Um, and a lot of students don't feel that is the correct response. And my understanding is this group, they definitely 
identify as Christian and they're they're kind of like quoting the Bible and stuff. Is that so? Right? It's a little funny. Um, in the beginning, they said that they were Christian, and then they said that they were New Testament, and then they said they were Old Testament, and then they said actually we're Jewish. Um, they're everything except Buddhism and anything that's that's <laughs> not central. Um, it's I don't know what they are. Uh, they 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 talk about a lot of different uh scripture but they twist it um so people who do know the bible very well is like that's that's not right what you're saying is wrong um and then they're like well actually this is how it's interpreted and you're wrong and that's how they catch people they make them angry that's the whole point of their group is to Mm. make people angry so we were kind of talking a little bit about this before we went on air but do you do you think they actually believe the things they're saying or do they do you think they just kind of enjoy harassing people? So I actually have a lot of information about the beginning of this group okay. and how it became to now um, because I did speak to an ex-member uh, of their mm. group that told us a lot about who they are. In the very beginning, um, so the leader, his name is uh, Ty Duran Mustafa. That's the current leader? That's the current leader. Okay. He's the one who started it. Um, he originally went to a church and found out that the church was profiting off of people like and he didn't like that, so he wanted to start off his own uh, uh, group. And um, in the beginning, from the ex-member, uh, he said that they were very caring about each other. They helped each other out, and they would preach the gospel. And then it slowly turned a little sour, where um, Ty, uh, there was apparently a, an incident where they took video games and books and put them in a pile and burned them on the beach. Like, that that was something that happened um and then they would talk about the other members behind their backs like they would they would judge them and call them sheeps and they were shepherds or something like that i think in the beginning because ty i believe is a realtor he he flips houses he he makes that's how he makes his money um and he gives those houses to some of his members um and that's what kind of lures uh, a lot of people in because of what the uh, current housing crisis is. They're like, oh, I get to be in a house and I don't have to, they don't actually have to pay rent. Um, they can just live there and he covers it. Um, and he originally, with this Christian group, um, a lot of Christian groups that I've seen that are like his, um, go to bars and schools, specifically colleges, um, to, uh, uh, provoke anger because at bars there's um, drunk individuals that you can definitely um, manipulate into starting a fight and in colleges there's young people that you can manipulate in starting a fight and their whole point was to make profit was to make money was to if they got hurt they could sue the 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 building they could sue the school but now um it seems like that they do seem to be believing in what they're saying it seems that what they're preaching, what they're saying, what they're doing, it seems like he wrote his own Bible. I mean, he even said apparently that he believes he is the he is a prophet. Like and wow. that's a that's a very odd and terrifying thing to say. Um but his group I think originally started out either with good intentions and then a scam kind of intention and then just mostly scam and delusion of of this false notion of what the Bible is and what God is and who Jesus is. Yeah, it's starting to sound very cultish. Very cultish. Uh, I mean, they even actually called themselves a cult in the very beginning. Yeah, they're like, actually, cult is not 
a bad word. It's just a small group of people that believe in, in religion. And he's like, maybe you should join a cult. And we all looked at him like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> it, it, it was a it was a very the beginning of the semester was when they really put on a show. They had these big signs, banners. They even said like, oh, uh, Buddhism isn't real. Uh, 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 Maoism, or not Maoism. Um, Taoism uh, isn't real. And Darwin isn't real. Your gods aren't real. And I'm like, Darwin's not a god. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was just one of those, it, like, it's, it's that kind of like, man, I really need to know what's going on in your brain at the same time. Why are you acting like this? All right, we'll, we'll take one more caller. Uh, we got Diamond on the line in Arlington. Hey, Diamond, go ahead. Hi, I'm just curious why um, the students are kind of the ones taking responsibility and forming groups when the power dynamics at play, the administration should be the one that is actively trying to resolve this issue. Um, it seems like the focus is a lot on this group's ability to have freedom of speech, but it's also the administration's responsibility to ensure safety on campus. And I don't understand how inciting violence, suicidality, and um, stalking are not being the actions taken against this group for these students who are supposed to have the freedom to go to school and feel safe when they do that. That is an interruption into the daily activity of a university. So I'm confused why that isn't the approach being taken as a way to remove these preachers on the green. All right. Thank you for your call, Diamond. Uh, Dr. Winberg, we're short on time, and you did kind of address this a little bit earlier, but I'll let you uh, take a stab at the response here. So just to reinforce that we are, we're all in this together. Um, we The administration is addressing this. I uh, mentioned the task force that I was uh, tasked with leading and uh, that consists of faculty, staff, and students. And um, we, I'll take responsibility with our students for maybe not getting the word out more broadly about the task force, so we can certainly improve in that regard. But we are all in this together, and we are all working. Um, as I said, we cannot just simply remove them. It's a Florida law. We cannot simply just remove them from campus. Now, when they, when they violate the law, that's a different story. And we need to, our law enforcement has greater presence. They increase their presence. Both plainclothes and uniformed police officers are um, on the green and around the, the green area when, when we know their uh, preachers are visiting. So, so we absolutely are all in. Everybody's working on this together. So essentially, unless there's some sort of legislative change, there's no concrete action the university can take at this point. N not in the way that the caller is suggesting. Yeah. I mean, we all would just like to just say you can't come here anymore, but that unfortunately would violate the law. All right. Well, that's all we have time for. Uh, thank you so much to all three of you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right. Much more still ahead later in the hour, planting trees on the west side. But up next. This is the story of our changing planet. And what we can do to help it thrive. A conversation with Stephen Price, the Oscar-winning composer behind the Emmy Award-winning Netflix series Our Planet, narrated by David Attenborough and William Shatner. The show will be brought to life in a live concert at the Florida Theater on March 31st. We'll be right back.
Northeast Florida artists are making noise that's reverberating across the country, and the Jacksonville Music Experience is your ticket to the local scene. Music reviews, curated playlists, music history, concert recommendations, and profiles of local artists, all put together by our team of local contributors. The Jacksonville Music Experience plays it local and plays it loud. Visit jacksmusic.org to read and hear more. Welcome back. The Florida Theater will be presenting Our Planet live in concert on Friday, March 31st at 8 p.m. I recently spoke with Stephen Price, the Oscar-winning composer who wrote the show's original score and reorchestrated the music for this live concert series. Let's take a listen to that conversation. So first of all, Stephen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, I, I live in the UK. I, I was born in, in Nottingham in the middle of the country and um, uh, live in London now. And I've, I've really spent the last... Um, 25 26 years now working in film and television um composing stuff for for all manner of different films and and shows um so probably best known for a film called gravity um back in uh 2013 or thereabouts and i've I've done an awful lot of work since in uh natural history um with david attenborough including shows like our planet so you've worked with attenborough a couple of times then yeah, I've been, been fortunate. I worked with him first um, in, in about 2014, 2015 on a show called The Hunt for the BBC. Um, and that was the same producers as went on to make uh, Our Planet. So we made that. And since then, we've done um, his life story. We made a film about his life story for, for Netflix and also um, was, was part of the, the Earthshot um, Prize program, which is a, a collaboration with, with World Wildlife Fund and the royal family over here and and sir david so yeah i've been been lucky to work with him a fair bit very cool what's he like what's what's it like to work with him i mean he's he's just a bit of a genius really i mean i <laughs> i grown up grown up with his voice so you know it's one of those things where you when when the first time i heard him speaking with my music accompanying him it just felt like oh god this is like a you know we've made we've made something now something that, that i can recognize you know and um yeah he's he's remarkable you know it's 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 a high bar when you're working with him because he chooses his words so brilliantly and is so clear in the way he communicates that it means that you have to be as well, you know, and, and so you, you have to, to, to find music which, which honours him. And uh, I, I kind of think of him as, as the lead instrument when I'm writing these things. You know, you're, you're working to, to make a soundtrack where every word he says is completely clear to the audience, but hopefully bringing the emotion to it as well. So your, your sort of history with him, is that how you got involved with this project? Yeah, it was with the with the producers certainly of of the the, the hunt. When we were finishing that program, um, I remember they said they they had something big coming up, and they they mentioned that it was going to be the first show that really um, uses its core the 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 climate crisis and and the the concerns that were happening there. And then they they were really clever. They they brought me into a little screening room and started showing me a few of the clips. They had people all around the world at that time shooting this stuff for four or five years. They were working on it. And they showed me just a few little clips of it, and it was like, oh yes, I'd like, I'd very much like to do that, please, you know. So it's um, that was that was the start, and then yeah, here we are, about seven eight years later. And so musically, how is this live concert experience different from the original score for the show? Well, the thing I was very keen on was that it, it wasn't just a clips thing, you know. It wasn't just here's a load of edited highlights from the show. I kind of wanted it to to feel like a, an evening, a proper journey. So. Um, there's there's certainly scenes in there that you'll recognize from the original show but what we try to do is is give it its own feel you know we've reorchestrated everything for for the live ensemble we have and uh, 
we've re-edited a lot of the footage as well to make it a very complete kind of journey and, and we start off the show taking you around the different environments very much as you did in the original show but we we kind of show all the connections between all the different places on the planet um, and then we we do go into a little bit of the, the problems the world's facing but we we end with um, a, a lot of sequences which hopefully leave people with a lot of hope you know we show um, a lot of stories where human um, actions have changed the path of things a little bit and nature's you know only too pleased to to, to do its bit and try and recover you know so so hopefully it's an evening where you you go through the whole range of emotions you know you see the glory of the planet you know you, you experience some of the worry for it but you you come out of it with a, a lot of hope so there have been a lot of shows and movies that showcase the beauty of nature like this but i think our planet is the first that i can remember that explicitly talked about climate change and, and called for action did that portrayal of how humans are impacting the environment and the urgent call for action factor into your, your compositional process? Did it, did it affect your, your eventual end product? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you were just you were very aware that we were trying to strike this balance between being entertaining, um, but there's, there was an educational component to it. But we never wanted it to feel depressing. It's just kind of, you know, here, here are the facts, but we can do something about it. And um, one of the ways that musically that I found that that influenced me was you know, you have these huge events, you know, and we see them on the, the, the news and we'll see, you know, increasingly climate crises happening all over the place. And, and sometimes it can feel kind of overwhelming. And one of the, the jobs I felt I could do with music was to take some of those massive visual things, but make them very intimate. And there are lots of moments in the show where, you know, a, a huge thing is happening on screen. But actually, we went in the opposite direction with the music and we went to a very small ensemble, maybe a, a soloist or a, a piano and a, a violin and just brought it really intimate. And that was an attempt to, to make things personal, really, and to to show that, you know, this this actually does affect us all, you know, and it's not just something that's over there in the distance that we can kind of, uh, you know, hope goes away one day. It's a, it is it is a, a very intimate sort of thing. So, yeah, musically, it definitely you, you were trying to, to find a way to to be honest and, and not be be mawkish and not be uh, manipulative, but just be very sort of clear as, as Sir David Attenborough's you know, narration is. It's very sort of straight and, and uh, uses the minimal word to, to say a lot, you know, and that's what I try to do, too. Have you done this sort of thing before where the, the project was originally just for a film or for a TV show and then it kind of got translated to a live concert series? Not to this scale, no. I mean, we've, I've certainly had pieces of music performed live from films. You know, there's, there's sometimes concerts here and there that will, will perform a little bit of a, of a gravity or something like that. And um, so we kind of worked out a few techniques as to how to do it. But yeah, it's been it's been fun putting together something on this scale and, and you know, just working out the, the arc of an evening, really, and, and where the ebbs and flows might come and, and how you can hold the, the hand of an audience and give them a, a journey. It's been, it's been fun working that out over a, you know, a two-hour live show. Uh, what kind of feedback have you gotten so far? It's been glorious, really. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that was painful when we started this was that the pandemic interrupted us by a couple of years. But at the other side of that, people are so happy to be out and experiencing live music together. And something like this, you know, Our Planet really is a show that celebrates the planet and the home we share. And it's been lovely sharing the experience with people. And you know, I, I say at the start of each evening that there are moments in the show where we hope that you laugh, but there are also moments when you might cry. And that's kind of proven true. You know, there's been, been some fantastic reactions to some of the, the funnier moments and the lighter things where we have you know, birds doing their sort of mating dances or, or things like that. But then we've got other moments where you see a glacier carving in the, the Arctic and it's this huge, great vision on a big screen of, 
of something that really shouldn't be happening and you see very emotional people um but by the end of the show i think we we we've tended to see a lot of hope in the audience and we certainly try and leave you on a a sense that you know there's a lot we can do together to to solve these problems so hopefully yeah it's um people go through a, a range of emotions with it it's been lovely to see you know people just really engrossed in the experience all right. Well, I think that's that's about all we have time for. But is there anything else that you want to add for our listeners about this uh, performance coming up? Well, I just I just hope you I love it. It's um it's been a delight for for us to to put the show together, and and I think we're we're all very used to sitting in our homes nowadays and seeing these incredible uh, bits of cinematography. But to see it on the big screen with you know the lights kind of making you feel like you're almost in those places is is quite an experience. And you know certainly we're very proud of our, our musicians. So hopefully it's a, it's a a lovely night for for all kinds of people we've we've had young old everybody go and see this show and um yeah hopefully people get a lot out of it yeah and, and congratulations i was a big fan of our planet and I'm, I'm really hoping to make it out to this show when it uh comes to jacksonville at the end of the month oh please do i hope you love it and thank you very much for, for taking the time yeah thank you Stephen. i appreciate it Again, that was composer Stephen Price talking about his work on Our Planet. The live concert performance is scheduled for 8 p.m. on Friday, March 31st. Tickets are available at floridatheater.org. Well, Greenscape Jacksonville is planning to plant more trees on the west side, but in order to do so, the organization needs your help. Lisa Gruba, executive director of Greenscape Jacksonville, and Jimmy Orth, executive director of the St. John's Riverkeeper, are here now to explain why. Thanks for joining us, you two. Thank you for having us, Brendan. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, Lisa. So, t- so tell us about this tree planting event and how listeners can get involved. Okay. We are going to plant 100 trees at Lou Brantley Park, also called McGirt's Creek Park. Uh, this is sponsored by a, a grant from FedEx and the international organization One Tree Planted. And the purpose of putting the trees out here is to absorb water, uh, absorb rainwater, and reduce stormwater runoff because the area is located in the McGirt's Creek watershed. And so that's the main purpose of this planting. And we are planting over two dates, two Saturdays, March 11th and March 25th on a Saturday morning. And we'd love to have the public come out and help us plant. And why did you specifically pick McGirt's Park? Um, Basically because, first of all, the, the Parks Department asked us to plant in that park. And then when I started doing some research, I realized it was in the McGirt's Creek watershed. And McGirt's Creek is a tributary of the Ortega River, which is a tributary of the St. John's. And we all know that we've been working over the years to improve the health, um, the water quality health in the tributaries. And so trees are a tool in order to absorb rainwater and pollutants and to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Jimmy, so Lisa talked about some of the benefits of trees, but they just offer so many great things. Uh, can, can you tell us about some of the other great reasons for us to be planting and and preserving existing trees? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited, too, about this project because I think so often we look at trees as just the aesthetic benefits, and we really need to look at trees as infrastructure, Mm -hmm. like we do other forms of infrastructure because of the ecosystem services that they provide to us. Trees do so many things. One, when it rains, it captures a lot of that rainfall in its tree canopy so that we don't have as much stormwater runoff. And then the water that does make its way to the ground, the tree roots and and the leaf litter, help to allow that water to infiltrate down into the ground, which is really important because then it can be treated by soil microbes and then the roots take up that stormwater and treat it as well. So that those pollutants that run off of our, our yards and our, and our roads, such as the hydrocarbons and the fertilizers and the pesticides, those things don't make it to our waterways. 
So trees provide a really important uh, value and benefit to our, our waterways. Yeah, and then they also trap and store carbon dioxide. It's a big right. deal. Uh, there's lots of research showing that they have all these other societal benefits. Uh, they improve mental health. Uh, I've read that they help reduce crime, actually. Um, they can help reduce energy costs. I mean, there are just so many benefits to trees. And that's a really important goal here in the city of Jacksonville. The city's uh, chief resiliency officer has been studying heat islands in the city. Uh, many people may have participated last summer in, um, in that study, and uh, we know that um, shade trees reduce temperature by 10 or 12 degrees. And that's going to be really important in coming years. We have a canopy disparity. We have an overall canopy coverage in Jacksonville of about 55%, but a big disparity depending on the neighborhood. So downtown, north side, you know, different places like that. We need to add trees now so that, you know, human beings can cool down and avoid, you know, a public health crisis potentially. Yeah, and and when the the city was doing the heat mapping project, I went out and I, I tagged along uh, for that project, and they 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 were using these these cool little apps where you can basically look at your your phone screen and it's like a, a heat uh, measurement thing. And if you're looking where there's a, a tree cover and there's tree shade, that's a much darker color. And then you just like turn it, your your phone fractionally to where there's no tree, and it's remarkable the difference in temperature that you can see just. 10 and like a 10 foot difference. Exactly. Do you want to add something, Jimmy? Well, yeah. And tree, you know, it's interesting. We talk about heat, obviously, and how it affects humans, but it also affects our waterways. Because when we have trees that are adjacent to our waterways, especially the tributaries where the water's more stagnant, it shades the, tr the, the water and helps to cool it. Because what happens is when that water gets hot, and as we see it get hotter with climate change, the water doesn't hold as much dissolved oxygen, which can then lead to fish kills and can really affect the ecosystem. So it's really important, too, for trees for shading not only us as humans to provide that cooling effect, but also for our waterways. Uh, and I think uh, another thing to keep in mind that's important is not all trees are, are equal in terms of benefits, correct, Lisa? What, what kind of trees are, are more beneficial? Well, it depends on what your goal is. But in this case, where we're planting to absorb uh, stormwater, we're using species like bald cypress. That is a perfect one to, you know, absorb a lot of water. Red cedar, um, different species like that. Um, you know, you might use a giant live oak when you want good canopy coverage and, and shade, and then you'll use a different species to specifically absorb water. So it just depends on what you're trying to solve with your planting. Mm -hmm. And and I think obviously one of the, the areas of town that is kind of struggling the most for, for tree coverage is, is the downtown area, obviously, because there's right. so much development and concrete right. and stuff. But another area is actually the, the beach communities, correct? Right. Yes, that's true. And that's a harsher environment for trees <laughs> to grow in. That's, you know, the soil is completely different. You're dealing with a very sandy soil. You're dealing with, you know, the salt water. So uh, that's a tougher environment for trees to grow in also. That's about as tough as downtown probably. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've got about a minute left. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know about this uh, event coming up? Well, I know we've had a lot of volunteer interest for this and our volunteer list is filling up pretty quickly, but we do have another planting also on April 1st um, on the north side at the city golf course. We're putting in uh, trees for shade there. And then we've got a couple of work days coming up. So plenty of opportunities to sign up. We'd love to Love to see you. And where can they sign up? Uh, greenscapeofjacks.org backslash events. All right. So everyone head to that site if you're interested in helping out with these tree plantings. Uh, Jimmy, Lisa, thank you so much for coming in. It's always great to see you too. Great to see thank you. you. Thank you.
All right, and you're listening to First Coast Connect. I'm Brendan Rivers sitting in for Melissa Ross. We'll be right back in just a few moments. Congaree Pen, dedicated to agriculture and culinary endeavors, offering field-to-fork dining and outdoor experiences on over 300 acres. Sip, dine, explore. Information at congareeandpen.com. A look at Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. I'm Dr. Joe Servin. Join me Saturday at 4 for what's health got to do with it, only on WJZT News 89.9 Jacksonville. On the next Fresh Air, the medical use of electricity, how researchers are manipulating the natural electricity in our bodies in an attempt to cure or alleviate the symptoms of various diseases, including cancer. It's already being done with pacemakers and implants for Parkinson's disease. Our guest will be science writer Sally Aidy, author of We Are Electric. Join us. Today at noon on WJCT News 89.9. Well, it took a lot of bake sales and cold calls, but students at a Minnesota elementary school have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for a new playground that would be accessible to all the kids. Now knowing that I'm gonna have something to do at recess, I just feel the sense of capability. I'm Elsa Chang. That story and all things considered from NPR News. This afternoon at four here on WJCT News 89.9. It saves lives and millions depend on it every day. But the high cost of insulin has put it beyond the reach of many. That's changing. Next time on 1A, we ask if Eli Lilly's recent decision to slash the cost of insulin marks a tipping point for Big Pharma and the fight to bring down prescription drug prices in America. Today, starting at 10 on WJCT News 89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to First Coast Connect. I'm Brendan Rivers, sitting in for Melissa Ross. Well, it's Wednesday, and that means it's time to take a look at what's good in Jacksonville. Tomorrow evening, there will be a free choral performance at the Terry Concert Hall. As part of its current creative arts series, Jacksonville University presents From the Margins, Nothing Left Unsung Choral Concert. Due to a variety of social biases, many composers throughout history have struggled to find audiences for their music. This concert will amplify the voices of marginalized artists and share some favorite hidden gems, both ancient and contemporary. The performance starts at 7.30 at the Terry Concert Hall. That's at 2800 University Boulevard North. And another free event to put on your radar for this weekend that should be fun for the whole family, furry friends included, is the 904 Pop-Up, featuring over 200 creatives and 15 food trucks. Returns to the Seawalk Pavilion in Jack's Beach this Sunday, March 12th, Uh, You can head out there anytime between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. to enjoy the largest gathering of pop-up vendors in Jacksonville. And can you feel it? Springtime is just around the corner, but it's already in the air here in Jacksonville. You can kick off the season with the Jacksonville Symphony's Sounds of Spring. Part of its Symphony in 60 series, guests are invited to enjoy a casual and fun happy hour before the hour-long concert. You can take in the tranquil refrains of nature with Beethoven's Symphony No. 6, known as the Pastoral Symphony and rejoice in the sounds of spring with Flight of the Bumblebee and Waltz of the Flowers. That's tomorrow, March 9th, at the Jacoby Symphony Hall. Happy hour begins at 5.30. The concert starts at 6.30. And we've got even more for our music lovers on this What's Good Wednesday. 
There was an exciting event from the Civic Orchestra of Jacksonville on Sunday, March 12th. Featuring music of many different tempos and textures, this free sensory sensitivity concert will be hosted by the North Florida School of Special Education and the Dorothy and Lee Thomas Equestrian Barn at the Dolores Bar Weaver Therapeutic Equestrian Center. Uh, Sensory sensitivity concerts are, are designed to be welcoming for people of all ages and abilities, particularly those who may find it difficult to sit quietly during a concert. In fact, dancing and giggling is encouraged. That's from 5 to 6 p.m. on Saturday at the North Florida School of Special Education. Also this weekend, the Catholic Charities Jacksonville hosts its Black and White Soiree. The Divine Society invites you to join them at the Lower East Club on Saturday, March 11th from 6 to 9 p.m., to take part in this spirited cocktail reception that will feature heavy hors d'oeuvres, live music by the Bay Kings Band, and of course, plenty of dancing. Funds raised during the Black and White Soiree go to support the Catholic Charities programs, including its Feed a Family initiative. During the last 30 years, this signature event has raised more than $3 million. And we mentioned this last week, but just a reminder that the Jacksonville Ultimate Women's Expo is happening this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, at the Prime Osborne Convention Center. Ladies, here's your chance to indulge in lots of free samples and gourmet tastings, plus explore emerging designers and hear from motivating keynote speakers. For more information and tickets, visit FloridaWomensExpo.com. Again, that's FloridaWomensExpo.com. You've been listening to First Coast Connect. I'm Brendan Rivers, sitting in for Melissa Ross. David Luckin is our executive producer. Our senior producer is Heather Schatz. Our producer is Bridget O'Brien. Our director today is Brady Quorum with technical help from Morning Edition host Michelle Corum. If you have questions or comments about First Coast Connect, then send us an email at firstcoastconnect at wjct.org. Again, I'm Brendan River sitting in for Melissa Ross, and you're listening to First Coast Connect on WJCT News 89.9 Jacksonville. Thanks for the company, thanks for listening, and make it a positive day.
Support for First Coast Connect is provided by Baptist Health and the North Florida TPO.